Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Good morning. It is great to be back with you this morning. This is a I could spend literally the, the first half of my time uh, effusive with gratitude. I, I don't know why, but it always it, it feels a bit like coming home, although I have scant connections with Johns Creek. I, uh, it goes back maybe to the Bill Self days. Uh, very grateful uh, to Bill, as, as many of you are. Uh, he was just such a good man to me as a, when I was a young pastor. Uh, to, to kind of take me in and, 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 and love me and, and mentor me and encourage me and keep up with me and, and my ministry. And Carolyn, I don't know if Miss Carolyn is here today, but Carolyn and my wife, they always connected so well. It kind of made me nervous, but they connected very, very well as if, as if they were commiserating about what it means in this, this wondrous calling of, of serving God in particular congregations. Um, and David said it well, I, I do feel like I'm a friend to so many here for all of the various ways that we are connected as a, as a family of faith. David, uh, coming to know him in this past year and his passion, his ministry, his vision within this congregation to, to help equip the believers as we seek to do work out in this world. And I've loved Sean for uh, many years as a, as a friend and uh, together we would get away uh, along with others, uh, other pastors who just kind of do some sermon crafting and planning, and um, so trusting are we uh, of each other. Uh, Sean calls me a couple of months ago and kind of lays out the plan. He says, Greg, can you, can you preach for me on the 19th? I said, I'd, I'd be delighted to. You know, I'll, I'll, with enough notice, I'll let where I'm serving my interim know that I won't be here that day. And uh, uh, he gave me the theme. He said, we're doing this theme on, on patriarchs and matriarchs. I mean, only a good friend will say, I'm doing a sermon series and here's what you're going to preach on. I mean, I can't do the sugar stick. I gotta, I'm just glad I didn't have Sodom and Gomorrah last week. I mean, you know. Uh, but he says, you know, so, so, so here, here's, where, here's where you'll be. And, and that, was, I, that was a while back. And I didn't think to ask him, Sean, are you going to be here? The answer to that is no, he's not here today. Uh, and we, we never talked about it since. We, I just drove into the parking lot this morning. I thought, it is today, isn't it? I mean, I am supposed to be preaching today, and, and then I started second-guessing if, well, what if it's not Genesis 21? What if it's like, I don't know, Leviticus? I mean, who knows, you know? So I'm just grateful it kind of is all sort of working out together. Now, before we dig into our text of Scripture, uh, let me also just say thank you so much, congregation, for your support of uh, DDM, Developmental Disabilities Ministries. Uh, that is a, 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 a wondrous work of God that some of you have been a, a part of in a very personal way. Uh, I know that uh, with, with Ray, uh, a former staff member serving there, um, uh, to, to, uh, I don't know if Dan and, uh, Danny and Ann are sitting up, and there they are up in the balcony. I knew y'all have your granddaughters with you, so I figured y'all would be in the balcony. They're here today. Lovely people to work with. Um, and, 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 and Bob, uh, I know that you have a uh, served on staff so they're faithful. By the way, we go back to Eatonton days. 
we both grew up in Eatonton, Georgia. He did not grow up on a dairy farm, <laughs> but, uh, but we, we went to the same uh, school together and uh, good to keep up through the years. But thank you as a church because you are regularly generous to DDM and, uh, in, in, in a most phenomenal way. Uh, because you, you give and you give regularly, you help empower the lives of individuals with developmental disabilities that they can, they can live up to achieve their highest potential socially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You are the very embodiment of Matthew 25 where, where Jesus says, even as you do it unto those that have been overlooked by society, you've done it unto me. So, so you get to be Jesus to people throughout this state. And, and, and I am so grateful for your continued generosity. And David, I know you're kind of cooking up some exciting work with uh, leadership in your church. And I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, all that will work together. One more quick word before we get into our text of Scripture this morning. I apologize. My wife is not here today, Amy. Uh, she, she sends her greetings uh, let, me, let me give a defense of Amy for just a moment. So, so yesterday evening, we're getting ready to go to a party uh, in Marietta. And as we're about to leave, uh, we're going to put our, our puppy. We, have, we, uh, we uh, adopted a rescue puppy, part pit bull, part boxer. Uh, her name is Annie. Uh, we, we adopted her for our anniversary. You know, when you've been married 28 years, when it's 25 years, you give silver. When it's 50 years, it's gold. When it's 28 years, you give each other a dog. I mean, that's just what you do from Eatonton, Georgia. And um, so we're going to put her in her kennel because we're going to be gone for about three hours. And, and I say to, to Amy, I said, listen, I, I went out shopping today. I bought Annie this great big chewable bone, you know, this rawhide kind of bone. It's a new thing, though, and, uh, and they said this is just right for her, and she'll, she'll be able to chew on it while you're gone, and you can use this for weeks, maybe even months, you know, to keep your, your dog busy. She's a puppy, after all. So we're gone three hours. Um, we get back, and let Annie out of the kennel, and she's drinking water, and she's drinking water, and she's drinking water. She's a thirsty dog. She's drinking water. And uh, Amy goes, I can't find the chewable anywhere. And I said, well, maybe she shoved it out of the kennel. I don't know. And no, we, it's nowhere to be found. And I look, at, I look at Annie, and she looks at me, and I'm thinking, she ate the bone. She ate the entire bone in three hours. So all night long, it was kind of a sleepless night for my wife and the puppy. And when I, when I looked at my bride, my beloved in the eye, and I said, are you going to go to church with me this morning? She looked at me, and she said, 28 years old, she looked at me and she said, I don't want to hear your voice for a while, okay? So, <laughs> so she's not here, uh, but you're here. And because we've shown up, uh, God has shown up, so let's enter in a, together a sharing of God's Scripture. Uh, what I'm going to do is we are going through the series uh, Patriarchs and Matriarchs, and, and you'll be relieved to know we're not going to read Genesis 20 and 21 uh, that's the background of the message this morning. But I, I do want us to focus on some verses here. Look with me in your, your scriptures. Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to share with you verses 14 and, and following. So Abraham took, rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, and he gave it to Hagar, and putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. 
And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water of the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. For God has heard the voice of the boy uh, where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water, and she gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness. and He became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we want to spend a little time here this morning around, well, Hagar and Ishmael. And yes, I know, I know, I've been keeping up. You've heard a bit about Hagar and Ishmael from Genesis chapter 16. And, and, but don't mistake this text of Scripture as a redo, it's, it's part of this larger backdrop we're calling patriarchs and matriarchs. And, and these two chapters, chapters 20 and 21, they're just, they're just filled with stories, every one of them. I mean, we've got Sarah here. Sarah, oh, what a woman. I'd like to meet Sarah, I think, but maybe from a distance. I mean, she's a strong woman. She's, she's a passionate woman. Uh, she is a, a woman that's crafty. And maybe some would say a little bit manipulative, this Hagar. Hagar you've read about, Hagar you've heard about, Hagar is, is the slave of the household, there's no polite way to put it, Hagar belongs literally, materialistically to, to, to Sarah and to, and to Abraham, but, but, but we will discover that she belongs ultimately to God. And then there are those in this story that are unnamed. There are, uh, there's Ishmael. Ishmael, you heard about from Genesis 16. This is the son to Hagar and to, to Abraham. His name means God hears. And then there's Isaac. I love Isaac. It means he laughs. Isaac is the child of Sarah. Well, you remember the story, right? Some chapters ago, we get to Abraham. Abraham is considered the patriarch of patriarchs, right? Your series began with Genesis 12 and, and 13. You, you can't talk about the patriarchs of the Bible without talking about Abraham. We get this image of this man who, who heeds the voice of God. At the age of 75, he becomes a visionary, which is nothing short of striking. At 75 years old, he is called by God to leave what is familiar to him, what is safe to him, what is secure to him, to leave it all behind and go to a land that God will show you. Now, at the risk of sounding offensive to those in your 70s and older, but can't you just picture this? Abraham and Sarah, he's got his walker in front of him, and he's just, he's heading out. Where are you going, Abraham? I don't know, but God's called me, and he's just making his way. You know, that's, that's Abraham. But Abraham is an equivocator, too. I mean, <laughs> In spite of the passion and the vision and this, this ear of God he seems to have, 
Abraham capitulates all too easy. I mean, it's Sarah, Sarah that says to Abraham, Abraham, I know that God has called you, and I know that you think you're going to be a father of nations, but uh, in case you haven't looked in the mirror, we're kind of long in the tooth. We're, we're, we're old in age, and so why don't you take Hagar and you two get away and make a baby? And Abraham says, and it's a loose translation of the Hebrew, all right, you know, I mean, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> of course, we know lots can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. And so, sure enough, Hagar and Abraham, they, they have a child. The, the boy's name is Ishmael, which uh, it needs to be pointed out. All of Islam traces its lineage back to Ishmael, right? And, and Abraham, Abraham is the father of the three great world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Judaism, and Islam. All three go back to Abraham. Well, time moves on. Sarah gives birth to a child all of a sudden in her old age, and so there's laughter all around. Abraham's laughing because when the angel says, you're going to be a father, he laughs. In my old age, I'm going to have a child. Sarah laughs when she overhears this conversation, and sure enough, they have a baby, and they name the baby Isaac, which means he laughs. Everybody's laughing but Hagar. And so Sarah says to Abraham, and again, it's a loose translation of the Hebrew, Either she goes, or I go, and I'm not going anywhere. Well, we know how this unfolds. We've already read about it in the Scripture. Abraham, the visionary, the patriarch, he escorts Hagar and his firstborn son Ishmael, escorts them to the edge of home, and sends her away. Loads up, the Scripture tells us, a skin of water and a bit of bread, but let's not fool ourselves here. He is sending her to certain death, getting her out of the sight of the household, and I think, quite frankly, out of his own sight. And what we read of in the text here is that Hagar and her son wander in the wilderness. They're as lost as lost can be. You ever been there? I don't mean in that good old-fashioned evangelical sense of the word, I once was lost but now I'm found. I, I mean those, those times in one's life journey where you don't know which end is up and, and you're wondering where the exit's going to materialize and, and you're just you're just lost. You are groundless. You are homeless. You, you are your loss. And this is Hagar. So Hagar, she takes her child. And, and, and in verse 15, it turns deadly. We all know the, the water runs up. And this wilderness, by the way, this is not the Smoky Mountain National Park where you've got fountains and streams on every corner. In the wilderness, in the Old Testament sense of the word, it's a desert. And without water, you have not life. And, and so, so Hagar runs out of water. And what she does, what she does is it says in the text here that she, she takes her son. And in, 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 the, in the English translation, it says she places him under a bush or she sets him under a bush. But the literal translation is she flings him away because she cannot bear to witness the death of her child. 
Now, you don't have to be a parent to get it, right? No mama deserves to watch their child die. And I've been there not as a parent, but I've been there as a pastor. But some of you have been there. You can't bear the thought of it. For Hagar, it's all falling apart. And why? She's just a simple slave in the household. And so what happens in this story, it gets, it's interesting. The story goes, she cries out. She cries out. And we read, God hears. Remember the name of Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. She cries out, God hears, and in the story, she sees. This theme becomes the, the framing of, of this larger narrative of patriarchs and matriarchs, at least in Genesis 20 and 21, cries out, hears, sees. So what I'd like to invite us in for just a few more minutes this morning is how can we look at this sacred space of wilderness through the lenses of our matriarch Hagar and less directly so through the patriarchs of which we've read. How can, when we are lost in the wilderness, find it transformed into the sacred space? where God comes to join us right where we are. Because when you're lost, the wilderness is sometimes the only place you have left to go. A few things I want to point out along the way. Wilderness is sacred space is, is first and foremost a, a place of transition. Transition. I mean, geographically in the Scriptures, wilderness always points to a place right outside the city limits. Now, it's more than just saying, you know, I've gone to the country. It's saying you've gone beyond civilization. You've gone to a place that you don't want to stay overnight. You certainly don't want to hang out there. Most people that go to the wilderness are bound, bent, and determined to get out of there as quickly as possible. And we get that in life, too. When we find ourselves in wilderness places, we just, we just want to get out as quickly as we can. This, this wilderness is on the margins. It's on the edge. This is where Hagar is. She is living on the edge. And, and it's this liminal space of in-betwixt and in-between that the real stuff of life starts happening. Now, you know what that's like, don't you? to be in times of transition. Maybe, maybe you're about to be an empty nester. You know, life's changing for you. Or, or perhaps you're going through a season of unemployment and, uh, you know, you, you, you can't afford this very long. Or, or perhaps you're working with aging parents and, and suddenly you're being the parent to your parent. Uh, you know what it's like, don't you, to be in times of, of transition where the, the old is, is giving way to the new and you're not sure what you like. It, it, it may be a, a doctor's diagnosis. It, 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 could be, it could be a death that you're facing. Here's where I think Johns Creek needs to be reminded of your immense value to this community and this region. 
church gets the privilege of not rushing people out of the wilderness, but joining with them in that journey of transition. When I was a kid, I went to a little country church called uh, Concord United Methodist Church, just a tiny church of about 30 people. But we would sing in that little brown Cokesbury hymnal. Remember that one, that little, little Cokesbury hymnal? We'd sing, The Little Church in the Wildwood one of those sentimental pieces you probably don't sing it here I, I get that they don't sing it in Monroe either or in Augusta Georgia but I love I love that little hymn that little church in the wildwood because really that's what it, all churches are we're joining people in the wilderness journey where they are in life's transition and our job is not to rush them through or rush them out but just simply claim sacred space that in the in the betwixt and in between God has dared to join us and there's some things that we can learn and discover about ourselves and about God if we just pay attention to slow down. Now, I know we want routine. We want constancy. We want to freeze-frame life and say, oh, if we could just be right here right now. I have two boys, and um, they're 24 and 22. It's a great age. But if you were to ask me, you know, what was your favorite age of parenting? I'd say when they were 8 and 10. It was just kind of a sweet age. Uh, I'd come home and we would wrestle right after dinner. And uh, weekends we'd all get airsoft rifles, you know, those guns that, that, that blow out the little plastic pebbles. I know that's not safe. Don't do this at home. But we would shoot each other, you know, and call it fun. Um, and it was just, you know, just that, that, that wonderful time. And then something happened to my children. They became teenagers, all right? And, and I'm sorry, uh, young people, if you are a teenager, but you may not like your parents. And, and, and you know what? They don't like you when you're a teenager. I mean, they're not going to tell you that. We love you, son, just as you are, not as you should be, you know. But we really don't like you, you know. <laughs> Uh, and you don't like them, it's reciprocal, we get it. It's kind of God's way of preparing you in this transition because of empty nesting. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you are facing, if you're facing being one of those empty nesters, let me, let me help you get through this pastoral crisis. It is glorious. It is, it is the greatest thing that ever happened to our marriage. Oh, my Lord. Why don't we just go there first, you know, and, and, and we're not grandparents yet, but I'm here, it even gets better, you know, when you get to be a grandparent. And so, so transitions, transitions. The thing is, we're always trying to get out of our transitions. And it's precisely in transitions where we discover more fully who we are and what we're made of and who or what, in whom or what we trust. I don't want to say I'm an expert in transitions, but there's something about turning 50. I mean, my whole life went from being fairly predictable. I've just, I've just embarked on this wild sojourn. I mean, we're empty nesting. And last year, do you know last year I was preaching here, right here? Did you know that you were the first church that invited me to preach since my pastorate? Now, I'd only been out of the pastorate three or four weeks and I was serving DDM, and I was excited about this new ministry adventure, but I got to tell you, I got to confess to you, I felt a little bit like a, like a boat that had been untethered from the dock and was just kind of floating out there, and it meant so much to me when, when Sean was the first guy to call me and say, hey, I uh, need you to come and preach for me at the end of January and maybe do a deacon's retreat. Can you handle that? I said, I'd love to. I'd love to. It was like somebody threw me a life preserver. 
So this whole past year, I've just been dealing with things. It's just different. Not good, not bad. Just different. Now, I know that some of you are going through transition that is not as pleasant as change in employment or change in zip codes. Some of you are going through some pretty heavy transitions. And I know, I know that you want to rush to get out. I get that. I get it. But think about your life. Think about the most formative events in your life. Chances are they were the seasons of transition. They're the ones that made you who you are and will make you still. Our patriarchs and our matriarchs teach us that wilderness can be a sacred space when it is a space of transition. They also teach us that wilderness as sacred space is a place of provision. Now, Hagar didn't see that when she was in the wilderness. She was wandering in the wilderness, and eventually she just gave up. She puts her son there, and she goes to the other side, and she is giving up. He's going to die. She's thinking, I'm going to die. It's all over now. So she cries, and God hears, and she sees. Now, yes, we read she sees a well of water and she's replenished and, and, and nourished, but that's, that's, not the, that's not what she sees. What she sees is there's provision for a future. That it's not over, Hagar. God is still writing the story and you're in the story and there's more to the story. I know, I know that you see wilderness as a scene of death, that there's carnage all around. I understand your disappointment with Sarah and Abraham. I know that you are completely helpless to life circumstances against you. I, I know that for you there is a the end to the novel of your life, but God is turning a page and there's more to the story. The provision is not just simply streams in the desert, water to replenish the body provision is one of future. Jürgen Moltmann, um, one of my favorite theologians, still alive and kicking, 90 years old, wrote a powerful little book, and I want to recommend it to you. It's, a, it's an accessible book. I know when you hear German theologian, you're like going, I'll let Sean read that or David read that. I'm not going to read that, but this is a good book. It's about last things. He's an old man, uh, so to speak, reflecting on his life, and he's writing a, an accessible theological treatment uh, of last things called eschatology. And his title says it all, In the End, the Beginning. In order for us to enter into beginnings, there have to be endings. There have to be things that we close the door to, that we say goodbye to, that we move beyond. In the end, the beginning. Sometimes all we can see is the ending. And when we see the ending, we assume that that is truly the end. But God's still writing the story. Uh, I spent a little more than 10 years in Augusta. And I never got to know Mr. Peterson. Uh, he became locally famous, shall we say, on social media recently. Mr. Peterson had been caring for his wife, who was succumbing to cancer and um, eventually she she died and uh, Mr. Peterson like so many widows and widowers went into a deep despairing depression basically he was giving up 
he was on in years, so to speak, and for him, his life was now over. He had spent most of his life with his partner, who is now gone, and he said that to no one in particular, I would just sit every day and look out the window and watch the squirrels swipe food from the bird feeder, really just waiting to die and join my wife. One day, Mr. Peterson goes to the local grocery store. I know the grocery store. It's right around the house where we used to, used to live. He, he went to the grocery store, and uh, something he hated to do, his wife always did for him, but now he had to do it. So he's at the grocery store, and he said, I know I look like a grumpy old man. I mean, I'm pushing the shopping cart, and I'm getting things in it, and I'm feeling miserable about myself, miserable about life. My life is over. And around the corner, this mom comes with this precocious four-year-old, and she looks at him and says, Hi, old person. Today's my birthday. And he's just kind of taken aback. And, and the mom is just embarrassed. And, she, and, and, and she's apologizing to him. And, 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 and she's trying to kind of move on past, you know. But, but, but Nora, the little girl, she's not going to let it go. She goes, No, 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 no. I want to give that old man a hug. And, of course, he's looking like, I don't want a hug, you know, but I want to give that old man a hug, and, and I want you to take our picture. And so she, she embraces Mr. Peterson and draws him in close, and she takes her cell phone out and snaps a picture, and they share a few more gratuitous comments and kind of go on her way. Now, Mr. Peterson's walking away, and he's kind of a little overwhelmed by that, you know. Later that day, Mama takes the picture, and she does what young moms do. She puts it on her Facebook account. She said, you know, today is Nora's birthday and we're out grocery store shopping and we pass customer after customer after customer, but out of the blue, she sees this old guy and she says, hello, old person, today's my birthday. And just like that, and she hugs his neck and, well, here's a picture and I wish I got his name. I'd like to just send him a copy of the picture. And someone on Facebook said, ah, that's Mr. Peterson. His wife just died. I can get you two together if you like. And so mom and Nora meet Mr. Peterson at his home. And a friendship between a four-year-old and an old man suddenly was formed. CBS, the local network, picked this up as a story. And, 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 and the reporter wisely asked that, you know, you, you said earlier in the interview that you had no purpose. What do you think your purpose is now? He said, I really believe that Nora was an angel from God. And the Greek angel means messenger of God. I really believe Nora was a, an angel of God, and I know what my purpose is. Together they meet every week, and grandfather adopted, and this little girl have bonded in a friendship. What was an ending to Mr. Peterson suddenly was an open door to a beginning. And the wilderness becomes sacred space, right? Our matriarchs and our patriarchs, they show us this. They don't know it at the time, but as they're making their way through, oh, they're living it. They also remind us that it's a place of presence. I know. I, I know that we, 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 we think uh, of presence in, in this nice stained glass kind of way. 
I mean, who cannot help but experience the presence of God when, when the choir and the orchestra is, is at full volume and, and the pipe organ, all the stops are out. And I, I love watching you, Bob. I love watching you, just the, the intensity there. I mean, we, we get to the flavor of that. And we, we come in this expansive, beautiful room and, and we, we understand the presence of God. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. But I really like the story here where the presence of the Lord is in this barren place. Sean said it in his sermon a few weeks ago, barrenness is God's venue. It really is. That's where God wants to join you. Without all of the trappings, without all of the distractions, without all of the, the smells and bells and whistles. Presence. What's interesting in this story is that this is the first time we read of wilderness as a place where God shows up. First time. But it's not the last time. Instead, we read throughout Scripture that that's where God shows up the most. There's, there's Moses who, who leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and where do they go? That's right, they go to the wilderness. And do they go right through the wilderness? Oh, no. If they'd have taken a direct route, if they'd have asked a woman for directions, it would have taken them 10 months. True story. Instead, it took them 40 years. They didn't go right through. They lived there for more than a generation. And then there's Elijah. Remember Elijah, the great prophet of God? But Jezebel is out to see his life come to an end. And where does Elijah go? He goes to the wilderness. And what happens in the wilderness? God sends angels to feed him, and God speaks to Elijah. Do you remember how God speaks to Elijah in the wilderness? It's not in the earthquake. It's not in the fire. It's in the sound of sheer silence. The wilderness. Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism and the voice of God says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus gets the public affirmation and the divine endorsement. But where does Jesus go right after the baptism? That's right. He goes to the wilderness. Our matriarchs and our patriarchs teach us that wilderness is sacred place is, is a place where you get to experience presence unadulterated, undiluted, and unfathomable. The wilderness. I know, I know we don't get all this at once. I wish that David or Sean or, or any preacher uh, up here before you could, could give you the five things you need to do to survive in the wilderness, to get through the wilderness, to get through this life, to, to achieve the success and, and the happiness that, that you think you so deserve and so need. I, I, I wish, but it's just not that easy. Some things we just have to live through and go through before we get through. A couple months ago, I'm uh, going up to my study and uh, uh, notice on the floor there's little fragments of paper all over the place. I told you about my dog, right? <laughs> so I already know what's happening. I'm like, all right, Annie, what have you gotten into? So I'm picking up these scraps of paper and, and it's, a, it's a photograph. And uh, so I put it on my desk, I, I get the pieces of paper and I'm putting them together here and I, I realize that, oh, I know that photograph, yeah. This is, a, this is a picture of me in 1992, and you think I'm good-looking now. I was really good-looking in 92, you know? Um, 
and uh, 92, and, and, and I even know when the picture was taken, it was in the fall of 1992. I had, uh, was only a few months into my first pastorate out of seminary, First Baptist Church of Mansfield, Georgia. Uh, that's a small town outside of Covington, Georgia. So we're talking small, right? You know, but I was taking this church group on a whitewater rafting trip, and there I am in the picture, sitting in the stern of the of the of the of the raft, and and I have this bandana on my head, and I'm I'm looking down this this mountainous uh, this river surrounded by mountains mountains going downstream, and I'm looking at this picture now in fragments, and I'm just reflecting. I'm thinking, oh, Greg. If you only knew what was down that river. I mean, I'm looking at the face of a young man. I'd, I'd been a father for just a few months. In my first pastorate after just a few months. I, Greg, if you only knew what was down that river. You're going to be a dad again, another son. And you're going to watch these boys grow up to be wonderful young men. And, and you and your wife are going to continue to grow old together. And Oh, but Greg, if you only knew what was down that river. You're going to watch your mother-in-law and your father-in-law pass away. You're going to have to go to way too many funerals between the families. Greg, if you only knew it was down that river. You're going to serve some great congregations. Oh, but sometimes congregations have sheep that bite. Greg, <laughs> if you only knew what was down that river. And I know it's an obvious metaphor, but it's true, right? We don't know what's down that river. And when it's all said and done, all we have is a lot of fragments that we can sort of put together, but we know that there's more to the fragments than what the picture shows us. And, and I want to share with you, brothers and sisters, there's, there's more to your story than the fragments of your life. You're greater. You're greater than the sum of your fragments. And God is still writing a story for you. God has still got sacred space for you to enter into. God is still inviting you into a place where the patriarchs and matriarchs can tell you, no, we're not the heroes of faith. We are just survivors. We've made it through. And we have a story to tell. And you're part of that story too. And so are you. And you, and you. Thanks be to God for the teachers that join us in the journey. Let us pray. Abide in us, O God. Abide in our wandering and in our searching. Abide in our questions and in our confidence. Abide in us, we pray, O Lord, that we may find your presence your provision. And yes, Lord, even in our seasons of transition, we may find your assurance that you're on this journey with us. In the beloved name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three who are one, we pray. Amen. <laughs>